to uh, episode three of the Rebooted Red Reporter podcast. Um, we're fresh off of Derek Dietrich, Derek Dietrich, Derek Dietrich, Derek Dietrich, Derek Dietrich, Derek Dietrich, Derek Dietrich. Um, the guy has been absolute dynamo offensively the last couple weeks, or uh, specifically this most recent stretch of games. He uh, had a, the three home run game against Pittsburgh just a couple days ago. Uh, we're recording on, what is it, uh, Thursday evening, uh, May 30th, in the wake of uh, – uh, uh, the wins over the the Cubs and the split series against the Pirates. Um, it's been an interesting interesting stretch of games for these Reds. Uh, you know, obviously winning winning the series against the Cubs last weekend was big. Uh, you always want to see them perform well in their division, especially against teams that are top tier like that. But it also came on the heels of some really competitive play uh, with another series against the Cubs and also the Dodgers and the Brewers. So uh, the elite of the elite. Um, uh, of the the National League, and so uh, the offense has begun to wake up. The pitching is is trying to hold it together as well. And as we said, it seems like the Reds have just kind of been treading water, uh, alternating wins and losses the last couple of weeks. So um, anyway, uh, we got Tony Wolf with me today. Uh, Tony, what's going on, man? I'm doing good, Wick. How are you? I'm good. I'm quite good. So, uh, yeah, just anything that stood out to you specifically about what you saw uh, against the Pirates and against the Cubs over the weekend that, that either gives you hope or looked troubling or stood out specifically to you? Oh, I mean, obviously the the offense finally uh, coming along is, is the biggest takeaway from this past week. You know, they went through uh, all those games where they scored at least uh, five or six runs. Uh, every day, cracked double digits a couple times, and uh, you know, never really seemed never that that never really seemed like out of character necessarily. They were getting a ton of hits, um, a lot of singles, a lot of that batted ball luck that we saw the team really struggle through uh, over the first month or so of the season when they had some crazy low team bat up down in like the two ten territory. That finally started to turn around a little bit, and uh, yeah, they just looked like a completely different team. Uh, we'll get to the completely different side of the uh, pitching, I'm sure, at some point. But the you know the the offense, the lineup, uh, they strung. Uh, we've seen them string beginnings together before, but even then, those started to you know come around, come along a little bit more in the past week. And even when they were stringing those beginnings together uh, before this past week, they would string together a big week and then stop. This week, they just kind of kept coming right after you uh for for nine innings and that was really nice to see you know even even against uh Stephen Brault uh, on Wednesday a guy that they've struggled with in the past they struggled to get the bats going but they still you know they got runners on base they had opportunities uh throughout the game to kind of piece stuff together the offense just really looked totally different from what we've seen uh up to the up until the last week of the season and Obviously, you'd like to see more than four wins in uh, in what is the eight games that they scored at least five uh, runs in uh, coming into Wednesday. Right. But uh, you know that that is that is certainly a, a very encouraging sign. Yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, you know, one player specifically that isn't. 
uh, necessarily benefiting from uh, the BABIP luck, the batting average on ball and play luck that the rest of the team has kind of been able to see over the last couple of weeks um, is, uh, and I say that tongue in cheek because you pointed it out in a great article earlier this week, uh, but it's Derek Dietrich, um, who still to this day has a 197 uh, BABIP on the season and a 176 one against right-handed pitching so far this year, which seems hilariously low and that's one of those things where you look up and say okay either he's Carlos Quentin uh, hitting nothing but home runs and has no knees to run out ground balls or he's been terribly unlucky uh, the fact of the matter is it's it's been absolutely neither of those he's just hitting everything over the fucking fence um, it's been a, a pretty remarkable run for a guy who um, you know was on the on the grand scheme of things in the the, the, the great uh, reboot of the roster this past winter was maybe what the, the the eighth or ninth biggest name player brought in by the Reds, uh, but obviously got off to a wonderful start to the season, but has really really turned it on through the month of May. Um, just talk a little bit about what you've seen from him um, and uh, what you think might be in store for Derek Dietrich down the road. Yeah, Dietrich has been just insanely weird to watch because, like you said, you know he. he he was not a popular guy coming into the organization, not in terms of you know being, whether he was well-liked, but just he kind of flew under the radar. That'll happen when you play your entire career with the Miami Marlins. Uh, and and, and got non-tendered uh, by them and came in on a minor league deal. I mean, yeah. anybody could have had this guy. Yeah, it, he was a guy who was available to any team in baseball for a solid three or four months, and uh, the Reds finally went in and snagged him. And, you know, he's he just kind of, even since that first – game when he hit that big pinch hit three run homer against uh pittsburgh on pittsburgh on opening day he just he's looked like he's up there swinging for the fences trying to do something different than maybe he has in years past and uh it's working right now (laughs) you know he he has uh already set a career high in home runs uh he has the highest uh isolated power number in the majors uh he it's he has one of these weird seasons where you know as I wrote about in the piece earlier this week, uh, he has one of those weird seasons where it, it seems like he's getting really lucky and that this is super unsustainable and to some level it is, but you know he's he his home run to fly ball ratio is right up there with Cody Bellinger and Joey Gallo and all these you know preeminent power hitters in the game. He's right. He's right there with them matching that, and he's uh, his stat cast data is really impressive. And beyond that, even he's uh, striking out less than he did uh, last year, and even the past couple years, he's walking at the highest rate of his career so far. He looks like a completely different hitter. And when you see a guy that you know, at, you know, we've we've detailed the struggles of this offense before, uh, but we we just haven't seen a guy step to the plate that looks really locked in that if you see him put a confident swing on a ball, you get excited because you think it's probably going to end up in the seats somewhere. So dear Dietrich has obviously has just been uh, so much fun to watch. And uh, he's, you know, he's kind of done what uh, Scooter Jeanette did for these, for the Reds when, when he was also brought in on a similar kind of deal a couple years ago, but in Dietrich's case, it looks a little bit more sustainable. Yeah, that's what I was going to get at. Is that, you know, obviously the the Dietrich and Scooter comparisons are, are are there and they're they're apt. I mean, they're left-handed hitters who were both basically discarded by their previous teams and played second base. But you know, you dig a little deeper into some of Dietrich's numbers, um, and it's kind of 
it's it's almost encouraging in a way. Uh, you know, this is a guy who obviously has pounded the ball in Great American Ballpark. Uh, he's got an OPS of almost 1,200 in Great American with 11 home runs. Um, but he's not just a product of Great American so far this year. He's got a 953 road OPS. He's hit six home runs on the road, including a lot in Pittsburgh, which is not necessarily easy to do. Um, but you look even further back than that. I mean, this is a guy who in 2018 um, had an away OPS of 859. So when you got him out of Marlins Park and he got to hit on other ballparks, he showed plenty of power there, slugged 496, hit 12 of his 16 home runs. Um, and you look at even his career stats, it's a guy who's got an 823 away OPS in his career. And certainly some of that has come this year, but that's still a very small portion of the, uh, the what, 1,166 career plate appearances uh, as, a, as a road player. Um He's also a guy who's got a career OPS against right-handed pitching of 800. So uh, even the Scooter comparisons, you look back at Scooter's numbers, I think he's got a uh, an 823 OPS career against right-handed hitters. But so much of that has been his excellent play the last two seasons. Uh, Dietrich came in with a, a reputation as a guy who, in theory, could hit right-handers, hit them well. And when you got him out of the cavern that was Marlins Park, uh, he's kind of taking off Obviously, I don't want to put him in the same category yet as Christian Yelich. Uh, guys like Marcelo Zuna, see what you've seen from JT Real Mudo this year as well. Um, but it really does begin to look like a guy who uh, really needed uh, both A, an endorsement, um, uh, which he got from the Reds, is playing now with a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder now that he's on a team that doesn't look like they're just tanking and giving away players. Uh, but also in a ballpark and ballparks in the NL Central that really seem to fit his swing and what he, what he wants to do a lot better than where he was previously. Um, and he's showing it. It's taken off uh, considerably. But, you know, the, the one thing that does kind of worry me, and I, I say worry in a um, – uh, a kind of a questioning tone. He's always been a good first half player. His career first half uh, OPS in, uh, is right at an even 800. Um, the second half, it's been not not the same story. He's uh, slugged 412, significantly lower um, than uh, than previous uh, numbers. Um, and his OPS is significantly lower than that throughout his career as well. So you wonder if the second half is going to be the same story for Dietrich this year after that great start. But you also have to wonder, hey, this is a guy who's been playing for the Marlins for the last five, six years. And not that the Reds have been a powerhouse during the second half of seasons. Um, but you got to wonder how much the grind kind of wears on a guy like that, playing in front of no fans in dead last place each of the last five seasons that are trading away guys left and right. Uh, now he's got a situation where it's a team that obviously doesn't look like it's a front runner. They're obviously still in last place right now. Um, but the season that he's playing in looks like is not a lost season. You wonder if maybe down the stretch this year, he might have a little more gas in his tank, uh, so to speak, that he's had in previous seasons. Um, what do you think? Yeah, you know, uh, Mark Carrick for The Athletic uh, wrote this really interesting piece uh, earlier this week about the all the former Marlins, uh, yeah. the team that, that Miami could have had this year. And it quoted uh, a couple, you know, it quoted a couple guys that we're familiar with. Anthony, Anthony DiScofani was in it. Uh, but he quotes Christian Yelich as saying pretty much exactly what you, what you just laid out, where he was like, you know, not that you're ever – giving at bats away you you know you're always trying to be competitive you're always trying to be locked in but at a certain point in Miami it was just difficult to try and tell yourself that every game mattered and every game was important and and he talked about how much different it is playing for Milwaukee where every game really does matter even when you get into August and September and uh 
uh, you know, j- just how, how much different that environment has been and how much it's helped him. So just having fans in the stands, if nothing else, I mean, you're playing in empty, empty stadiums and meaningless games, at least now. I mean, even if the Reds don't ever make a huge run in theory, if they don't sell everything off at the deadline, they're going to have a decent team. That's a 500 ish team. That's playing meaningful games against other teams up until August at this point, which is something we haven't seen in recent years. That's got just from a mental perspective, that's got to be something that, players who have been stuck in Miami for years, they've got to embrace, you know? Right. And, you know, as, as, you know, kind of analytical types, it's tough to, it's tough to kind of try to engage with that side of things because it's just, there's, it's not something that you can quantify, you know, the mental aspect of, uh, you know, trying to overcome, as you said, uh, empty ballparks, non-competitive uh, second halves of the season. It's really tough to quantify that sort of thing. Uh, so we try to avoid it as best we can, but uh, you know it's it's gotta it's gotta wear on you. It, it has to to wear on you. To, you know the Miami's just such a weird organization, and Cincinnati certainly has been uh, in recent years too. But you know with with uh, Loria and then Jeter coming in and uh, so many departures uh, and so many weird uh, buying and selling. Uh, rapid transitions that they've gone to. It's got to be just such a weird organization to try and play with for 162 games. And yeah, you know, the Reds, they're in last place right now. You don't know where they're going to sit at the end of June, at the end of July, how meaningful, quote unquote, their games are going to be as you enter the final third of the season. But it's, it's, at least it should be something different than what he is used to. And you would think that, uh, you know, his just his demeanor and uh, his energy level, his motivation at say game one twenty uh, of this season has to look a little bit different than it did uh, in previous years. Yeah, and, and let's be honest. This is a guy who's going to turn thirty in July, um, and you know there uh, the thousands and thousands and thousands of guys who have actually even made the big leagues. Uh, and washed out well before they even reached age 30. Um, it's, a, it's a laundry list and a lot of names that you would recognize. Um, you know, as much as we just crapped on the Marlins right then, he got cut by the worst team in baseball, you yeah. know, and, and then no other team signed him to a big league contract. He couldn't get a contract from any big league team after getting cut by the worst franchise in the, in the entire league. Uh, if ever there was a kind of a, a come to Jesus baseball moment, that's, that's got to be that, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're looking at the writing on the wall and say, wow, not even the Marlins want me, even though I played pretty damn well for them. Um, that's a, that's a, that's got to be a motivating thing, you know, and uh, as someone who's already crossed 30, um, staring <laughs> that in the face too, also has got to be one of those moments where you're like, it's a, it's, it's time, it's make or break. And it's, it's great to see a guy uh, um, rebound from that as well as he has. And, you know, who knows? He could go into a massive slump and, and, and not produce hardly at all for the rest of the year. Um, but he's already pretty much submitted himself as um, uh, a legend and fan favorite for the Reds so far this season. Um, and worst case scenario, if he goes back to being the Derek Dietrich that just produced the way he did in Miami, uh, you've got him under team control for next year. And that's a very, very valuable piece uh, to fit in somewhere down the road. And uh, I, I think the Reds deserve a lot of dap for that. Uh, for finding him and for giving him the opportunity to succeed the way he has. So, well, I mean, even along those same lines, you know, you mentioned guys who are approaching 30 who were 
uh, shed by uh, or by rebuilding teams, or at least not brought back. Uh, Jose Iglesias is that is in that same position. You know, he's, yeah. he's approaching thirty. He was on a uh, Tigers team that is very much, you know, even maybe a year or two behind in the rebuilding process compared to where the Reds are. And they've the Tigers have four million, three million dollars, whatever it took for the Reds to land this guy, and certainly all the all the other uh, twenty eight teams in Major League Baseball do. Uh, you know, Jose Iglesias is a guy that came in having played re- really well over the past few years. He gained a even an even uh, a lot better reputation uh, than than Dietrich as far as just being known for being a really great defender, uh, while also being able to contribute with the bat. Uh, at, at, at certain points, but you know, yeah, Iglesias was in a similar spot where he came in. He a rebuilding team said we'd rather not, we'd just rather not pay you. We'd rather give someone else an opportunity. So at that point, you know, yeah, as a as a professional baseball player, you're kind of looking at yourself and saying, "Am I gonna just whittle away here uh, in the next couple of years and let let baseball?" just kind of ice me out or when I get an opportunity with somebody, am I going to really cash in and, and make all the teams that could have used me uh, look really foolish by not going and getting me? And, you know, Jose Iglesias has done the same thing as Dietrich. He hasn't maybe made the same uh, impact, but he's been one of the best defensive shortstops in major league baseball. He's made all kinds of really cool plays for them. His uh, average is over 300 right now. He's been a really solid contributor for them. And uh, yeah, he and Dietrich probably uh, have share a lot in common there. Yeah, I know. It's it's always hilarious to me. I mean, obviously the, the, the Tigers gifted the Reds, um, Eugenio Suarez, and now <laughs> uh, they've got Jose Iglesias and the two of them came up as the, you know, the, the one and one A for the future shortstop of the Tigers organization. You know, uh, Jose Iglesias made a little over 6 million bucks uh, last year. Uh, and the Tigers basically said, Nope, we're not bringing you back. And then they went out and gave five and a half million dollars to Jordy Mercer. who's 32, um, banged up this year has a negative, uh, 0.4, uh, wins above replacement per baseball reference and a 58 OPS plus. So the fact that they were willing to give him 5 million bucks and not bring Jose Iglesias back for whatever cost it would have been. Um, it's, it's one of those things you look up at all these, you know, fringe signings that the Reds have managed to pull off uh, that look so good in retrospect. And you look across the league and you see guys like Jordy Mercer get $5 million bucks and flame out. You see Daniel Descalso uh, get money from the Cubs and not be anything like Dietrich or, or Iglesias has been. You see the Ian Kinslers of the world getting one-year contracts and just completely not performing at all at this point in their career. Uh, that that's a, that's a corner of the market that a lot of baseball teams haven't had a lot of success in recently uh i feel like the reds have kind of found a way to do that i mean you know you look at last year uh obviously they didn't come in on minor league contracts but getting guys like jared hughes and guys like david hernandez uh at very very bargain basement costs uh relative to what other teams are spending for those kind of high leverage relief positions in those two instances uh they've gotten great great returns on their kind of at the margins investment and uh you know i i obviously you want them to hit all all of the big moves out of the ballpark but i think they deserve a lot of credit for being able to pull off that series of moves over the last few seasons because it pays dividends and they're really good ball players out there that the reds have managed to find that other teams weren't willing to take a chance on well and even you know it's it's very early he's only pitched four games for this team but a guy like matt bowman matt bowman nobody wanted nobody had any interest in matt bowman and the yeah 
got him on a mat on a minor league deal. He he did pretty well in Triple A. They've brought him to the majors yet, and I don't I don't has he given up a hit yet? He's he's made four appearances and hasn't given up a run. He hasn't walked anybody. He's uh, looked really sharp and looks like another one of those guys that uh, you know in years past we've we've evaluated some of these guys like. Uh, Dan Straley, like Scooter Jeanette, in terms of okay, the Reds p- pick this guy up uh, off a waiver. What can get? What can they uh, trade them for now and get a surplus deal on? And obviously, uh, get, getting Luis Castillo for Dan Straley was uh, was was great. But now you kind of look at these guys in a different light, uh, especially guys like Jared Hughes and David Hernandez, who are still there. Uh, a guy like Matt Bowman, a guy like Derek Dietrich, who who you're saying how. How can these very smart, very savvy pickups that the Reds made that no one else wanted to put the effort into, how can they help this team right now? And, and what what kind of role can they play in, in getting this team over the hump and, and pushing them a little bit? Yeah, well, we can only hope that uh, uh, Zach Duke's struggles so far at the start of the season actually were due to injury, and that maybe he becomes another one of those uh, uh, bargain bin uh, replacement uh, uh, level uh, success for stories down the down the stretch as well. So, um, yeah, uh, I guess moving on, um, you know, we've talked obviously about Dedrick, which is well deserved at this point, given how well he's played. But uh, he's not the only bat that, that that's hitting these days. The Reds have finally started to get. Uh, production alongside he and Iglesias and Eugenio Suarez. Um, you know, I'm not going to say it was when Nick Senzel got called up that every other bat in the lineup began to start waking up, uh, but it's kind of hard to ignore uh, the timing of all of that. Um, Senzel obviously has hit very, very well lately. Uh, he's got his OPS up over 800 and is beginning to look the part more and more in center field. But other guys are beginning to heat up as well. Um, you know, Yasiel Puig's, uh, what, his last – 23 games, which is 94 plate appearances. He's got an 807 OPS, uh, and he's hit six home runs in that span, and that's a 40 home run pace over 162 games. Uh, Joey Votto over his last 15, uh, the power still isn't there, which is what we saw for most all of last season. Um, but his last 15 games, 70 plate appearances, uh, is hitting 306 with a 371 on base percentage and 419 slugging, which is A, still a very, very valuable offensive performance, and B, akin to the guy that we saw for most of last year. Um, you know, what about the bats have you seen lately that, that really stands out to you? And, and is this one of those scenarios of uh, everybody kind of being cold at the same time and uh, hitting becoming a little bit more contagious throughout the lineup? Yeah, I mean, that that certainly seems to be the case, uh, especially with, with guys like Votto and, and Puig. You just kind of expect them to turn around at some point, and, and you expect them to – I mean, they, they just started off – so cold that that it, it had to turn around at some point. You know, Joey. Yeah, Votto, those, Joey those guys are just not that bad, right? <laughs> yeah, Joey Votto's OPS is over seven hundred now, which it wasn't for a very long time. And uh, you know, yeah, Puig is coming around, and even a guy like Eugenio Suarez, who wasn't nearly wasn't as cold as a lot of those other guys to start the season. Uh, Eugenio Suarez's last one hundred and eight plate appearances, he's hitting three forty eight, four seventeen, six sixty three. You know, he's Eugenio Suarez has been absolutely outstanding over the past uh, right. three weeks or so. And uh, yeah, you know, you mentioned Nick Senzel and that's someone who obviously if, if the Reds, we talked before, if the Reds were going to get a spark at some point this season, it had to be with Senzel. You know, there wasn't another 
looming major league call up uh, that we could really foresee happening this year. It's not like they were going to uh, swing a big trade in July if they were on the border of maybe they're contending, maybe they're not. It had to be Senzel that you know lighted a fire under these guys and really started to push this lineup a little bit. And uh, yeah, you've seen the last few games. He's 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 still striking out a little bit more than you'd like to see, maybe, but. He is, he is also, he's drawing a lot of walks, he's seeing a lot of pitches, he's hitting for power, he's he's doing pretty much everything you could have reasonably hoped to see him do. You know, of course, everybody wants uh, their top prospect to come up and have that Reese Hoskins debut, have that Pete Alonso debut where they're... Trick uh, yeah, just Yeah, where off. they're hitting 20 home runs in their first... 50 games in the big leagues you know it's crazy things like that and but not everybody gets those some some guys just slowly build things up and and build up a, a pretty great resume and you know here we are again you know Nick Sanzelli's he's never struck out a ton in the minors he's striking out more than 25 percent of the time right now uh he's also walking 10 percent of the time he's got a 110 uh WRC plus right now he's uh his defense his defensive metrics uh, haven't quite come around yet, but again, he's played maybe a total of 35 real professional right. in center field right now. You know, that's the, the fact that he hasn't been just an abomination in center field is probably a pretty significant credit to his athleticism out there. Yeah, th- throughout Anthony Rizzo at the plate the other day on a beautifully timed throw, uh, almost made a great diving catch uh, yesterday. Um, and and I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I know. Um, uh, uh, I've seen them floating around that, you know, given the, the, the limited data on him so far, he ranks basically in like the, the top 10% of all major league players in sprint speed so far. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not only that, but you look up at the way he came up and obviously he hit a couple home runs in his first week, all of which were the opposite field. You know, you could tell that he was doing things at the plate that were uh, the sign of a veteran professional hitter, which were, uh, you know, go the other way, go the other way, hit against the shift, hit to where they can't shift against me. Um, In a meaningless uh, ninth inning game where the Pirates were pretty much blowing out the Reds, uh, he finally pulled a home run. Mm -hmm. And that was, to me, he hit it, I think, 422 feet. To me, that was one of those, uh, I guess, kind of a seminal moment, potentially, as we go forward, because it seemed like for so long uh, when he came up, he was do the right thing at the plate kind of guy, which is what you want to see from a rookie in his first couple of weeks, which is take what they gave you, go the other way. Don't try to do too much, yada, yada, yada. Uh, he knocked the shit out of that ball. And when he turns on one and finally becomes a guy who says, I've got pull power because that's my strong point. I can go the other way, but you leave one out there. I'm not going to flip it into right field anymore. You're going to get punished. That's what he did with that ball. And I, I almost want to kind of draw a mark in the sand and pinpoint that game and that swing because it wouldn't shock me at all if uh, he becomes for um, definitely a short term and hopefully a long term, uh, a guy who is becomes kind of unpitchable that way, which is, you know, I, I'm not beginning to try to say that what I've seen from him is comparable to Joey Votto. But when Votto first came up, he was able to do that. He showed pull power, which meant that pitchers wouldn't throw him inside. And then he started flipping home runs right over the right field wall or the left field wall. And suddenly he became unpitchable. Um, And uh, Senzel has not had a lot of pull shots so far this year. He's been willing to 
to smoke balls to center field and to go the other way and hit him over the right field wall. Um, but what I saw that swing was, hey, I've got this in my arsenal too. And if that becomes the kind of thing that he's willing to do and to start turning on pitches, he's going to be an offensive dynamo. And that's as uh, excited as I've been on a single swing of a Cincinnati Reds prospect slash rookie in a long time. So yeah, you know, hopefully, ho- hopefully there's more to come with that. Yeah, you know, he just looks comfortable. You know, how many weeks uh, – Plural this season did we did we watch guys like Matt Kemp uh, and, and Yasiel Puig and eat up until last week Joey Votto uh, go, go up to the plate and just really look genuinely look like they Lost. did not expect yeah. to get a hit like they did yeah. not expect they were hoping that they would get you know four pitches out of the zone or or get a meatball because they just didn't look like they expected to do anything up there Nick Senzel from the very first day that he uh, came up to this team, looked like he thought he belonged there. He just looked like he was very comfortable and uh, was someone who could, you know, take take a breaking ball just off the plate outside. He could take a high fastball and, and, and what, you know, really gauge some of these pitchers and stand in there and hold it, hold himself together pretty well. And yeah, you know, it, it, again, you know, he hasn't, necessarily lit the world on fire but he's played really well and that's that's almost more uh comforting to me that you know he hasn't he hasn't been getting fastballs grooved to him necessarily he hasn't been jumping all over things that you know later might get taken away from him as guys start to scout him scout him a little bit well and and figure out the way he hits he he's just steadily held his own this whole time and you know that someone like that with his athleticism with his tools with his track record he's going to continue to get better he's going to continue to to hit the ball hard and see a lot of pitches and yeah I think this his first month or so uh in a Reds uniform has gone pretty much as, as well as you could have could have expected yeah, 100%. And he's been asked to be the leadoff guy, too, which is something that he's never really been, either at the college level or even coming up to the minors. Um, he, I think he's adapted to that position well. Uh, he's worked a lot of counts. He's done everything he possibly can to get on base without necessarily selling out for power. Uh, but, again, just referencing that one one plate appearances, which was – which is the, the the absolute smallest of sample sizes that I continue to focus on right here, um, but but the way in which he approached that that at bat suggests to me that he's doing his um, uh, he's doing his duty playing leadoff right now. Um, but I think he's got the potential to actually be that middle of the order, carry the offense kind of bat down the road. Um, and I'm extremely excited for him to get that opportunity, not necessarily this year, uh, but in the future, because I think that's certainly certainly up his alley. So. Um, I guess switching gears a little bit, um, we've got the uh, the Major League Baseball uh, draft coming up um, uh, starting early next week, the 3rd through the 5th of June. Uh, the Reds hold the number seven overall draft pick. And as we talk about Nick Senzel, the most recent first round draft pick to, uh, to make his way up to the big leagues, um, the Reds, because of not being the absolute most terrible or second terrible franchise uh, the last season. They don't have the number two pick this year. They're picking a little bit further down the order. Um, and the way this draft shapes up, it looks like there's a, a, a perfect number of uh, bats that look to be coming off the board, probably in picks one through six, which would leave the Reds, if they're holding firm to their um, their their long-held strategy of take the best player available, 
Uh, it looks like they're probably leaning towards taking a pitcher at number seven. At least that that's kind of seems to be the rumblings and the latest mock drafts all suggest that, although they haven't quite pinpointed exactly the guy. Um, the Reds in the first round have swung on pitchers repeatedly over the last 10, 15 years. And uh, aside from Mike Leake and I guess to an extent Michael Lorenzen, um, there hasn't been a whole lot of success with drafting there. Uh, you know, obviously you've got Hunter Green most recently, who is a high school arm taken second overall and is still 19 years old at this point, and his future is well up in the air. And coming off Tommy John surgery, we all hope he'll be fine. Uh, his grade is still uh, to be determined at this point. Um, but backing up from that, you've got guys like Nick Howard, you've got guys like uh, Nick Travieso, guys like Robert Stevenson, who hopefully is turning the corner this season, uh, but has taken until age 26 to finally contribute anything at the big league level. Um, what are your thoughts on on potentially drafting a pitcher? Uh, and if you've got any insight on any of the guys, Nick Lodolo, uh, Alec Manoa, that, that the Reds have been kind of connected to, whether or not that seems like the wise strategy at this point. Yeah, the Reds have... It, it's kind of funny how uh, the situation that the Reds have found themselves in because, uh, you know, again, they, they this draft seems to have a pretty clear-cut top six. You know, everyone seems everyone more or less thinks that unless they want to try and save some uh, some draft money for later on, the Orioles are probably going to go get Adley Rushman, uh, the catcher out of Oregon State, number one. The Royals are probably going to get Bobby Witt, Jr., the high school shortstop from Texas, and then you know three through six is any any uh, mix of a couple of uh, really impressive high school bats uh, and a couple a couple other college bats, uh, and then the rest is just kind of up in the air. Some people think that the next best guy be below that top six uh, is Nick Lodolo, this left-handed pitcher from TCU, who uh, you know has has had a, a pretty solid year and, and uh, doesn't seem to have is one of those pitchers that kind of has not the highest of ceilings, but, but also seems to have a pretty high floor. You know, a lot of guys, uh, a lot of draft evaluators seem to think that he'll settle in as something like a number three starter. A Mike, a Mike Leake type, for instance. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is a guy who's going to settle in as a middle rotation type starter. Uh, and, you know, which is obviously very valuable to an organization. If you've got a lefty who can uh, throw a lot of innings and uh, he's shown some swing and miss stuff at the, at the college level, uh, then, then yeah, that's, that's a pretty big asset to the, to the organization. Uh, other guys, uh, other people uh, have, tended to veer more towards Alec Manoa as the best uh, college arm, the right-hander from WVU, who is a very different pitcher. You know, I, I'm, uh, he throws a little bit harder than uh, Lodolo. He's got a little bit more uh, projection in him. I think he's got a, he's got a really nasty uh, fastball breaking ball combination, but uh, the, the big red flag with Manoa is he's, a really big guy. He's like 6'6", 260, just a, a big hulk, hulk, hulk <laughs> yeah. uh, on the mound. And he also um, hasn't – he's only recently transitioned into starting full-time. You know, he, he was a – And that's got was, Nick Howard written flags written all over it too, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the Reds have gotten themselves into trouble, even with uh, Michael Lorenzen, uh, as, good of a, as good of a career as he's 
uh, had, you know, relative to where he was picked. The Reds took him in the first round, betting on him turning into a starter. You know, he was only closing games in college when he wasn't playing in center field. And the Reds were like, we're going to, we're going to turn him into a starter. Nick Howard, same thing. We're going to, they were going to take this guy who's a dominant closer in college. We're going to turn him into a starter. Uh, a big guy too. Yeah. Fortunately for the Reds, uh, WVU has already turned Alec Manoa into a starter uh, <laughs> and he's done really well. You know, he's, he's just absolutely dominated at times. He's got, uh, I mean, he had that stretch uh, between facing Texas Tech and Kansas this year, two pretty strong programs. He threw complete game shutouts with 15 strikeouts and no walks. Like that's that, right. those are those are the kinds of games that that are going to get some attention. And, uh, and until until just this week, pretty much everyone was was saying that that it was going to be Nicoladolo at number seven. But now, uh, Fangraphs their most recent. Uh, Mock has the Reds taking Manoa there, and and so that'll be it'll be really interesting to see which which of those two guys uh, the Reds wind up deciding on because there is it there does seem to be uh, more risk uh, and reward with one, uh, and you know as we said a little bit a little bit more uh, you know hedging of uh, of bets with with the other. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, obviously, I think, you know, the, kind of saying that the red strategy is to take a first round pitcher this year. Uh, that's a little disingenuous on, on my part initially, because, you know, they, I think it's obviously if they had the opportunity to draft some of these bats that are at the top, uh, they jump at them in a heartbeat. But I think they realize that there's definitely a drop off um, after those first few picks. And, you know, if a guy like Andrew Vaughn fell to him, they'd probably be interested in him. Um, another guy I'll mention just purely because I'm a UK homer is Zach Thompson, who's uh, another left-handed starter who's projected to go in the first, you know, 10 to 15 picks, uh, but has injury question marks in his background as well. Um, I think with the Reds, where they are is at number seven, they've got to weigh a couple different things. Obviously, a you want to take the best player available regardless of what position they play because by the time they're big league ready, who knows what the hell the roster is going to look like and uh, things work themselves out. Uh, but B, they also have to look at signability questions as well. And that's one thing that I think they've been able to pull off quite well in recent years. Um, you know, obviously when they took Nick Senzel number two overall uh, in 2016, they, they loved him. They loved the guy. And it was a guy that many teams considered taking number one overall as well. Um, but I think it's worth, mentioning that they got him and signed him for about $2 million under his, uh, his projected bonus. And considering the way that all this works and the Reds only get a fixed amount of money that they can spend on all of their draft picks, saving money there meant what? That they could spend it on signing a guy that they drafted later. Uh, and they swung hard on Taylor Trammell, uh, a high school kid who was committed to Georgia Tech, and everybody pretty much assumed he was going there. Um when they picked him, uh, you know, if they'd spent their full allotment at, at number two, they could have only given Taylor Trammell about a million bucks, and that wasn't going to be enough to keep him from going to Georgia Tech. Instead, they saved $2 million and, and gave Trammell, what, $3.3 million signing bonus, which was enough to, for him to say, yeah. And so for the Reds, you have to obviously look at the best guy you can get at that pick, but it's got to be the entire draft uh together as part of that mantra as well. And so uh, if they don't think there's a clear-cut number seven best player out there, uh, maybe you find the guy that you might be able to save a little bit of money on if you still think he's marginally close to the guy that might be a little better. Uh, because if you can save that cash there, that might allow you to go out and get a, a Mike Siani, who is a very similar uh, uh, overdraft, overslot signing 
um, uh, last season. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to watch how that all plays out because obviously every time the draft rolls around, um, you know, it's a lot of players that play, people that only follow Major League Baseball don't necessarily know, myself included. Um, but that's how the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Nick Senzels and the Taylor Trammells and the Jonathan Indias and the Hunter Greens go from being relative unknowns to being what? the top prospects in the system and top 100 prospects. And that's when, that's when big league fans start to take notes. So, um, you know, obviously you want to get the best one you can, but if you can get two or three of them because you're, you're budget conscious, uh, so be it. That, that, that's how the rules are shaked out. So, yeah. Um, I mean, again, you want to take the best uh, guy available, but yeah, at the, at the, at the same time, if, if you're the Reds, uh, you could definitely use a, uh, a fast-moving arm in the, in, uh, in their system right now with uh, with Hunter Green now being on the shelf and uh, uh, Tony Santel and being in Double A the next uh, best guy after that in terms of arms that you plan on seeing uh, in the big leagues might be Scott Moss. Scott Moss, uh, yeah, who has had a pretty solid year. You know, before before Scott before this year, we probably would have said Vladimir Gutierrez, but he's had a pretty He's he's been pretty banged up this year uh, in terms of his effectiveness. So if if you can, uh, you know, certainly certainly if uh, yeah, if Andrew Vaughn, if a uh, if a JJ Bleday, uh falls to you uh, in good doors and in in uh, you know in some crazy uh, twist, then by all means uh, pounce on those guys. But if if you're the Reds and and you can you can possibly hit on a guy like. Uh, Manoa or Lodolo and actually see them pan out that would uh that that'd be pretty important to this organization no doubt about it I mean especially you mentioned the the lack of a, a next clear-cut uh call-up pitcher uh you know Tanner Rourke's a free agent after this year Alex Wood you've got nothing from he's a free agent after this year Anthony Scafani is a free agent after next year and hasn't exactly pitched awesome so far this season so yeah a fast-moving arm uh, is never a bad thing uh, but in, in the Reds' particular case right now, it certainly, certainly wouldn't hurt. So, um, of course, as we've mentioned, uh, with their their first round swings and misses on arms, also it's almost like you you, you know the, the pitchers they've got right now um, didn't come from the organization uh, or even in Tyler Bally's case was what a seventh round pick out of high school and kind of an afterthought at that point. Yeah. So, um, you know that that's one part the Reds scouting, another part the uh, just the, the fickle nature that is. Uh, pitching at the big league level right now. So um, with that in mind, uh, you got anything else you want to jump into? Uh, I, I don't, I don't believe so. I was uh, the only other thing I had was uh, I was looking recently uh, at uh, the Reds pitching lately, uh, which. Oh yeah. The, the, the not so terrible pitching they've had. This as, year, right? as it turns out uh, that as soon as the offense got hot, the, uh, the pitching staff began to uh, crumble a little bit. Obviously, they've over their past eight or so games when they've gotten their offense going, they've also given up uh, a lot of runs. There, uh, and particularly uh, what they've seen lately is you know going into the going into just a couple weeks ago, they had they and the the Reds and the Rays were pretty much neck and neck for the best home run prevention uh, staff in in the big leagues and. Uh, then over just the past couple weeks, the Reds have uh, got have given up quite a few more homers. Uh, they've they've gone from being a team that limits opponents to about 0.8 to 0.9 homers a game to being a team that gives up 1.7 homers per nine, which is now in the ten in the bottom third of baseball over the past couple of weeks. Uh, 
but interestingly enough, that doesn't necessarily signal a end to the the fortune that they've had over uh, with their pitching staff over the past few weeks. Their uh, their ex FIP over the past uh, couple of weeks, according to Fangraphs, is uh, still three point eight two, which is uh, the fourth best in Major League Baseball, and that is pretty much right in line with their uh, 3.79 xFIP that they've had over the course of the full season. So if it seems like uh, the Reds are are crashing back to earth with their pitching staff and and you know the the luck they've had with the offense is beginning to turn around just as the pitching uh, is beginning to deteriorate, that might not actually be the case. They they it seems at the moment like they're getting a little bit unlucky, and of course. Uh, having guys like Anthony Viscofani uh, continue to struggle are not uh, a help to that. But if if you can get yourself to a point where maybe uh, Lucas Sims is able to join this rotation and, and be as effective as he was the other night, or you can get uh, Alex Wood back maybe in the next month, uh, those might be uh, pretty big pretty big boons to this rotation. Yeah, and I think it's also worth noting that, you know, what, 10 of the last 15 games have finally been back in Great American Ballpark. Um, that's after what, uh, I think they only played 15 of their first 42 games uh, in Great American. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, it's, uh, you know, uh, seeing the offense take off and the pitching struggle at least a little bit recently. Um, I, I think both of those should have been expected given just how relatively extreme both of their performances were to start the season. Uh, but also put them back in Great American where offense is pretty much – it is and has been king. Uh, both of those suggest that, that that's something we should have seen. Uh, hopefully the peripherals that the Reds have shown pitching-wise during that time uh, will continue to prevail uh, throughout the rest of the season because, like you said, that, that that's something that suggests that they're not doing a whole lot different uh, what they, than what they did to, to have such great success to start the season. They're just playing a little bit of a smaller ballpark, and sometimes that burns mm-hmm. you. So, um well, with that said, uh, I think maybe we can put a wrap on episode three. Uh, we got the Nationals coming up, and then we got the a road trip to the Cardinals, the Phillies coming in, the Indians, uh, Rangers. The next two weeks is a, a bunch of winnable games, I think, for these Reds. And while they continue to tread water and play slightly above 500 ball after that abysmal 1-8 start, um, if they're ever going to make a move and, and make this season something that's more than just a fight for 82 wins, they're going to have to make a run at some point. Um, and it certainly looks like if that ever is going to you know, have, have a better chance on paper, uh, it's the next two weeks. And so hopefully when we, uh, we dive back into episode four of this year, uh, rebooted Red Reporter podcast, we'll have some, some more wins to talk about because uh, if they're ever going to do it, the schedule looks like it should be in the coming, coming couple weeks. So um, follow us if you want to. You can find us on Twitter at Red Reporter. You can find us uh, at redreporter.com. If you actually want to read some of our articles, which we, we try to write uh, uh, wholeheartedly and often, um, you can find us on Facebook at Red Reporter Fans. Uh, leave all the comments you want there. We're not going to read them. Um, and yeah, and uh, uh, like and subscribe and tune in to us on, uh, I don't even know, what are we on? SoundCloud, iTunes, all the above uh, to listen to the uh, the podcast at your, at your free will. So, um, Tony, thanks for joining me, Absolutely, man. Wick, anytime. Sounds good, buddy. Well, with that, we will sign off for this evening, and we will talk to you guys when we are back around uh, on the microphone at some point in the next week. Thanks, guys.